morning, how are you? Hey, uh, take a seat. If you, uh, if this morning, if you have earbuds in, I would love it if you would take them out. Uh, we're going to, we're going to spend some time together looking at who Jesus is, and I'd love it if you could hear me with both ears while we do that. That would be amazing. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to start there. This year during chapel, we've been looking together at who Jesus is. And so far together, we've looked at how Jesus is your friend, and Jesus is grace. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andy Addis reminded us that Jesus is the story. And our engaged speaker, Pastor Suji, walked through how Jesus is the God of the broken. And so again, I want to look together at another aspect of Jesus is. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, there's some like absolutely crazy stuff happening here. If you know like, if you know the backstory, then this this starts to have whole new meaning. This chapter that we just read starts with this guy named John, and he's preaching this message of repentance, and he's baptizing people in this river. Now I want to take just a second and look at how the writer Matthew describes this guy John. I want you to paint a mental picture of what this guy looks like. It says that his clothes were made of camel hair, that he had a belt around his waist, that he ate locusts, bugs, and wild honey. Like so you can picture John and what he looked like and like when I close my eyes and I think about it, I think of him like as a, like a like a caveman. Like I don't know what else to think of, like a caveman or like maybe someone like this. I don't. I, but I close my eyes, like that's what I see. So the text goes on and it says that this dude John says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." Now, now this phrase, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near," it's packed again. It has like deeper meaning that when we read it, we don't see it. But what's going on here is you have this guy, John, and he's preaching to this group of mostly Jewish people, these people. Jewish people, they have a bit of a They have a bit of a story that sort of follows them around. They 
have this amazing heritage of, of suffering. Like as a group of people, their history is a history of slavery, of being, being enslaved by like different groups of people. The Jewish people, it's this history of people, and their history was one of suffering. And then God delivering them out of suffering only to be slaved by a different group. And then God to deliver them. And the scriptures given to them from God, there's this promise. This promise, this is a promise that these Jewish people, they clung to this promise. And this promise was that someday a Messiah would come, save them. And he would deliver these Jewish people once and for all from all the things that they felt were like bondage in their lives. This sense of bondage that like carried with them as a people because once you've been enslaved, even if you're free, you still feel it. And the scriptures promised that someday God was going to send a Messiah who was going to set it all right. So the Jewish people, they clung to this. And a very interesting thing started to happen. Over time, people started to develop expectations for this Messiah. These beliefs about who this Messiah should be. See, the Hebrew Bible, which we know is the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible, it's filled with what are called prophecies. And Pastor Andy talked about these prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled every single one. And these prophecies talk about this Messiah, the things that this Messiah would do or things that would happen to him or, or things that would define him. So what was happening is that these Jews would pull one of these 500-odd prophecies about the Messiah, and they would focus on that one thing. So over time, for a lot of them, they developed these preconceived ideas of who the Messiah was supposed to be. Some would like engross themselves in these rituals and these rules and these regulations because to them, that's what the Messiah was looking for. And the Messiah was looking for rule followers. And others, others would immerse themselves in interpreting the scriptures a certain way. Because to them, that's what the Messiah was looking for. The Messiah was looking for the people with the best understanding of this book. Some, others would spend all of their time attempting to purify their life, continually offering up sacrifices. Because to them, that's what the Messiah wanted. The Messiah was looking for the most clean, the most pure, the most innocent. So different people were all looking at the same scriptures and they were walking away with a totally different understanding of what would happen when God would send his Messiah. So it's possible for people reading the same book and walk away with totally different understandings of God is and how he relates to Of course, it's totally different from how we are today, right? Yeah, no relevance. You have all of these different understandings of what the Messiah would be. And along comes this guy, John, dressed really weird, eating bugs, baptizing people and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now the word repent. Some scholars believe that this word was actually a military term. And to repent was a command that you gave troops. And troops were marching in one direction. And to repent meant to stop, turn, 
and walk the other direction. So to repent means to literally stop, change direction, and walk a different path. So, so essentially, John is saying, hey, all of you, I know, I know that some of you think Messiah is this, and some of you think Messiah is this, but I'm telling you to stop. Turn around. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's Jesus. And he's so much greater than you can imagine. John is saying, stop. Don't you get it? There's a better way. The way you're living, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to fulfill you. If you're honest with yourself, the way you're living, it feels empty. There's so much more. Light, dark, hope, despair. This path that brings grace and truth, truth, peace, and love in this life that goes on forever. Stop. Don't you see the path that you're walking is going to lead you to destruction? Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. There's a better way that you can be living. Don't you see it? He goes on, essentially, call out the religious leaders, the church of his day. He says, he says, look, you're walking around with like this religious superiority. Again, no relevance to us today. And he calls them out. He calls them a brood of vipers. So he, he basically says, you're a bunch of snakes. And then he pretty much tells them they're on the wrong track, that they brag about being more religious or more pious or more holy. Rock, say God better than Really working over nice. He's making friends. And at this point, he gets tougher, and then we get to verse 11. And he says, he says this, verse 10, the axe is already at the end. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he continues, I baptize you with fire for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, who handles I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one that you've built your lives around. Fire. What John is here saying is saying, stop. Stop. Walking the direction you're walking. If you if you repent, if you if you turn, if you follow the direction of God, if you step out of the preconceived ideas of who you think the Messiah is, and if you stop and you walk the other direction, then you will receive the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. But if you don't, if you don't repent, if you continue leading the kind of life you've been leading, then you will be baptized with fire. And just to clear up some confusion, that's not good. Dude, John is almost pleading with these people. He's saying, don't you see the path that you're on, the way you're living your life? If you continue on this path, then it's going to lead to judgment and it's going to be hot. On the path. 
into I feel like I'm because I'm watching I know because I've tried it. I look. There wasn't repentance. There wasn't a new direction in my life until I was 20 years old. And before that, I was really good at sinning. I'm still really good at sinning. This school year, this academic year, our middle daughter, Karis, uh, entered middle school. And with entry into middle school, Came a cell phone. And with a cell phone came a contract between Karis and my wife and I. And this contract was a pretty typical kind of agreement between a preteen and 11 year old and parents. Stuff like we always have the lock code to your phone, we'll check your pictures and texts every night. We have to give permission for the apps that are on your phone. No social media, because I was a youth pastor for 15 years and I'm not an idiot. The phone gets locked up while it charges at night. You know, normal stuff. Now our son, some of you are like, our son is two years older. You're like crazy God for your own parents right now, I get it. Our son is two years older. He had already traveled this journey with him. But man... Dude, girls are so much different. Like, Isaac got a phone, and he was like, uh, cool. Can I go play Xbox? Like, that was it. But Karis, Karis got a phone, and she instantly, I mean instantly, turned into a teenage girl. Literally handed it to her, and it was, see you, Dad. I'm going to my room to text with my friends. What? How do you have a And then, like, there was like group chat drama and there was this one group of girls and this one friend was in this one group chat and then they decided they didn't want her in that group chat so they made a whole nother group chat but they left this friend out but then she found out there was another group chat and on Wednesday we wear pink. Like that's what it is. Like no one warns you about this stuff with daughters. She's out of control. And a couple nights ago, literally, literally, Monday night, no, Monday night. <coughs> Monday night, my wife was going through Karis' phone like she does. She found the text conversation. And not just any boy, but a middle school boy. And again, in our family, we have some rules. One of the rules is when you're 11 years old, you can't date. I know, we're like the lamest, meanest parents who don't understand anyone's feelings. At least that's what I'm hearing lately. So there's this like, there's this like stupid, dumb, punk, middle school dude, and he's texting my daughter. I'm kidding, I'm sure he's very nice, but pursuing Karis, so he sucks. So there's this boy, and my wife shows me this text conversation, and there were words conversation like girlfriend. There were I know. And and there were texts like there were texts from him like, hey Karis, what time do your parents get home? 
work. Maybe I can get over when it's not there. Uh, yeah, now you know. And then, and then there was, and then there was Karis. Karis. Karis, don't tell anyone we're dating. I don't want the school to know. Followed by, uh, thank you. Thank you. Followed by, followed by, hey, Karis. Karis, I want you to say I love you. Followed, I'm not done. Followed by, my daughter is 11. Followed by, hey, Karis, send selfies. Yeah, I know you thought you knew where I was going. But still at 11, that's not okay. Yeah. So, so Suzanne and I call Karis. We call Karis into the room where we have, um, where we're like, we don't know what to do with this. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. We call Karis to the room. We sit her down. We sit Karis down and we explain that per the agreement that she had signed, reading her text conversation, this best best. And then, and I explained to my daughter the benefits of homeschooling and some really nice covenants, uh, convents that I just reached. I just can't do that. Sat her down. Reminded her. We um, never met our daughter. Know this, but uh, instant tears. Instantly screams of how we don't understand her feelings and. Dad, this is true love. Sure it is. You're 11. That tracks. That makes sense. Um, and these yells of you're just trying to ruin my life. And I, and I'm, I moved to Karis. And I put my arm around her and I said, about helping learn that words have power. The words I love that some our rules are not about trying to suck the fun out of everything. Our rules are because we know we know things we don't know yet. doesn't you think about a, a, a way that you could be forced to live your life come at it with this I don't want anyone telling me how to live my life I do what I want when I want with who I want and Jesus looks at me, he says I have something so much better in my rules my heart is for the best possible kind of life my rules my commands are in place because I know I know what will hurt you. Don't give yourself away. Because heartbreak sucks and it's painful. And those brief moments of pleasure. 
treasure won't ultimately satisfy. Jesus says, trust me. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm not trying to ruin your life. My rule. God. He is the point because he loves every single one of us. He paid the price, died for everything ever done wrong, everything that you're still going to do wrong, and he took the sin of all creation on himself. He's looking at the not good enough, the second string, the outcast, those on the margins, and he says, I in the midst of broken relationships and broken hearts, in the midst of grief, in the midst of your own personal hells. And he says, you don't have to carry that stuff anymore. You don't have to live like that. Jesus says, here, let me carry it. I'll take it. Jesus is the point. And the danger happens when we don't keep the point the point. We forget. We forget that Jesus is the point and we try to make other things the point. Let me give you an example. Chapel. Chapel is not the point. And so what we begin to happen is we forget. We start to think, well, chapel's the thing. I have to do chapel. Chapel's the point. Chapel is not the point. This thing that happens Wednesdays at 10, it exists to help with the point. The point is Jesus. Chapel's not the goal. The goal is to tell as many people about Jesus and how transformative and life-changing his message. The goal is to say, look, I was dead, but I'm alive. I was lost in every single sense of the word, but now I'm found because of Jesus. He's the point. Acknowledge that all of this is the point. Is your heart open to turning from the path that you're on and walking a better direction, a new direction, walking a new path, or or is your mind still closed to opinions outside of your own? Because if you can't repent, if you can't confess stuff in your life, the sin, the junk, the wrongs, if you can't confess the stuff in your life that is damaging, that you know it's wrong, that you know it goes against who God is and what it means to be created in his image, you can't turn from that stuff, walk another direction. God's saying, okay? Not going to force you to get what you want. But know that the consequences of what you want is separation. Jesus warns the consequences of the consequences. We choose it with our own destructive choices. 
is it? My question is for some of you, are you ready to turn from the way that you're walking and follow him? And if you are, if you're ready, if you're ready, to, if you're ready to walk in a direction, a path, this path. I'm going to close in prayer. I'd invite you to pray. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. Everyone bow your head. This moment is not about sitting around you. He's the point. He's the main thing. Why we do all of this. Jesus' invitation for us is to trust him. To believe that he is who he says he is. That he is God in flesh. To believe that he died for everything we've ever done wrong. That he took the sin of the world on himself. To believe that he defeated death. The death isn't the end of our story. To believe that in following Jesus, that I'm invited into a life that begins now and goes on forever. But it's more than belief. It's also the act of turning in the way that we're walking. It's called lordship. It's giving Jesus control of every area of my life. Even that one that I'm still holding on to, that one too. Saying, here, Jesus, you take it. That's where you're at. Lord, and I'd invite you to begin. God, I trust you. God, I said is. God, in this moment, I commit turning from the path that I'm on and walking a different path. I believe that Jesus is my Savior and I commit to following him as my Lord. Keep your heads down, keep your eyes closed. Again, this is not about around you. This is about you and about you and Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. Always. I'm gonna invite you to take a Take a moment and proclaim perhaps decisions that were just made. And this morning, if that's you, if that's a decision that you made, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'd invite you just to raise your hand. And every eye is closed, every head is bowed. To receive this benediction this morning. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you with a love that has no beginning, a love that has no end. It's a love that you don't have to earn, and it's a love that you can never lose. Whether you feel like a success or a failure, he loves you. Whether you feel alone or surrounded by people, he loves you. Whether you feel righteous or guilty, he loves you. He loves you enough that he sent Jesus to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised for you in the whole world. 
Because even right now, Jesus is before the Father speaking words of love on your behalf. And he'll return one day to renew you and the whole world because he loves you. And this is the most true thing about you. Before anything else can be said, this must be said. God loves you and that will never change. So don't forget it. Grace and peace. Have a great week.